Hi, everyone. Stuart Gandalf here again with another Shishmid podcast for 2015. Again, a lot of our readers have been listening to these for years now. And uh, every year we interview some of the thought leaders in our industry and healthcare marketing. Uh, today, I'm particularly pleased uh, to interview Lee Acey, who's director of uh, Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media. I've talked to and known Lee for quite a while now, and Lee is uh, certainly a thought leader in the field of hospital social media has a lot of great insights, and he's been doing this for a long time at Mayo. Um, this is his first time speaking at Schmidt since uh, to the early 2000s, and so he's back again. And this year, his topic is leading change from the other C-suite, uh, that's communications. So he'll be talking about that uh, during Schmidt, and I think you'll find this to be a, an excellent uh, interview and uh, a lot of good insights and uh, fun as well. So, Lee, welcome. Thanks, Stuart. Glad to be with you. So tell us a little about your topic, the leading communication or leading change from the other C-suite, that's communications. Um, I have the uh, description here in front of me about what the talk is about, but certainly our readers don't. So go ahead and tell us about what your topic is going to be about. Well, sure. Um, thanks, Jordan. It is great to be with you. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, is interesting for me is that it probably has been 12 years or 13 years since I spoke at Shushman. And when I spoke then, I was the manager of the media relations team at Mayo Clinic. And when I look at how change has happened in the whole realm of communications, the capability of organizations to not just pitch the media, but to be the media, uh, and the opportunity to uh, connect and engage with stakeholders outside the organization, but also to um, empower and engage employees. Um, communications has always played an important role, or you know, it, it's it's always played a, it's needed to play an important role in decision making because so often the um, decisions that are made by corporate leaders um, really they get legs through communications, and sometimes in discussions with the uh, communications leaders, the organizational leaders um, get asked questions that they say, "Wow, we really hadn't thought of it that way," and and sometimes needing to communicate the uh, the issue is part of actually refining it um, because you're thinking through, you know, what are the different audiences going to think? And so never before have there been as many tools as there are today uh, to reach out and connect with key audiences and not only audiences, but uh, to really turn them into communities. And so we'll talk a bit about, you know, our journey through the uh, social media landscape, starting with using all the, the free platforms, the the ones where we didn't have to do anything out of pocket, and where we could just where I could just decide as the manager of the media relations team, hey, this is something that we should do, and we need to uh, you know take advantage of these tools, and just how that's evolved over time, and how it's enabled us to um, get much you know broader and deeper communications with uh, the people who have an interest in what we have to say. It's uh, intriguing to me, and it's funny, I, even though I know you and we've talked for a long time, I didn't realize that that's the background you came from with media relations. Wow, what a wild storm that, you know, media relations changes like anything else, I'm sure, over the, the decades, but what a complete sort of exponential change in your field, right, with social media entering the right. scene? Yeah, I mean, I was I was originally hired to be, you know, not the manager of the media relations team, but I was working for our cardiology group mainly uh, and pitching stories to journalists. And as we heard about things like podcasting, wow, what a great concept, right? You know, when we heard about podcasting in like 2005, um, I was by then the manager of the media relations team. And I said, wow, here's an opportunity for something where we could 
you know, take advantage of some of the syndicated content that we're already producing and, you know, turn it into a podcast, an audio version of a podcast. And that just started us on a, uh, on a journey where, you know, it was a series of doing the next thing that seemed like the smart thing to do at the time and taking advantage of the new opportunities that were arising, you know, all, you know, sort of continually. But it was first to do that media relations work better. I mean, my job was to get stories in the traditional media and, and that was the first application, but then we you know, pretty quickly saw that there were opportunities to reach directly to uh, interested um, stakeholders, interested um, audiences, and be able to give them the in-depth kind of information that they otherwise, you know, that they're not going to get through the mass media. And the fact that we had a very strong brand, well-respected, uh, trusted, uh, an opportunity that we thought we'd be able to draw together people who would be interested in sharing the uh, expertise we had to offer. Uh, I had a list of prepared questions for you, but this is taking me down a different path that I think is going to be even more relevant to some of our listeners and readers. You know, we still have uh, a lot of hospitals, doctors, other people in healthcare that are still really uh, worried about social media and healthcare, and they give me all kinds of reasons why it's a uh, a bad idea and you've been sort of an ambassador for social media mm-hmm. and healthcare and I always laugh it's like well you know sort of that wild and crazy organization Mayo Clinic they <laughs> um you know <laughs> you're you totally managed, irresponsible <laughs> yeah yeah you, so you managed to somehow you know work in a very conservative the sort of you know uh gold-plated name and uh, work your magic mm-hmm. through that how are you able to do that? I guess would be the first question. And second, what would you say to people that are still sort of super leery about this? Must come up a lot for you. How do you how do you do, well, do it, all that? Yeah, it, it it really does, and um, it goes a little bit back to our history at Mayo Clinic and understanding who we are as an organization and really what our DNA is. Um, Dr. Will and Dr. Charlie Mayo founded uh, Mayo Clinic, and it's now we just celebrated 150 years. So actually, it was their their father who you know, where we would would start that launch of that 150 years. But, you know, they both passed away in 1939, and in their lifetimes they traveled to 25 and 9 countries respectively. Um, they they had this commitment to outreach and to, you know, teaching and to learning. Uh, Dr. Will Mayo traveled as far as Australia and Russia and, you know, just literally all over the world. And he recognized that reaching out and connecting with others and learning from them and sharing what he knew and what, what we were developing here in Rochester was, you know, they sort of saw it as a moral responsibility. Um, but at the same time, um, over the last 100 plus years, word of mouth has been the most important reason for people coming to Mayo Clinic. If you were to come to Rochester, Minnesota today, you would see that we're a, a city of about 100 and 15 or 120,000 people, and yet we have people come from about 150 countries in every U.S. state every year for care. More than 20% of our patients are coming from more than 500 miles away, and you know we're, we don't have the kind of population base here that could sustain an organization of you know that has 150 cardiologists or whatever. I mean that that we depend on connecting with others, and it's really been part of a part of who we are that and, you know, the word of mouth and also then the connecting with professional peers. So as we started to see the potential of of social, and and then when we do our brand research and we find the reasons for people's uh, 
preference for Mayo Clinic, why they think that if they were sick, that that would someplace, be someplace they'd want to go. Um, the number one reason has been word of mouth. And it's been recommendations from other patients and family members. And so we really saw this as an extension of that old-fashioned word of mouth um, and that we are we are limited by uh, geography to a significant extent. I mean, if you look at the other hospitals in the U.S. News and World Report, um, best hospitals on a roll, you know, they're in Boston and New York and Cleveland and Baltimore and all these other big cities, and we're in a city of uh, 120,000 people. So it, wow. it's really it's really seeing the opportunity to make connections across time and space. So we're, you know, when we can do it with bits instead of atoms, <laughs> you know, when we can, right. instead of having to get there in the analog way, we just held a social media conference in Australia. Uh, that was, it was our Mayo Clinic first international social media conference in, in Brisbane. Um, Dr. Will Mayo traveled to Australia in 1924 and it took him 30 days to get there. Uh, we were able to go there, and it took uh, 30 hours by airplane. And yet, when we were periscoping some of the keynote sessions, you know, it took maybe 30 seconds <laughs> to make the connection to people. So, you know, just seeing how that has evolved over time. So on, on the one hand, yes, we are a very risk-averse organization in a positive way. I mean, you don't want to make mistakes to people's health. Um, on the other hand, you know, Dr. Will and Dr. Charlie were pioneers and, you know, they have, have really seen the, the need to be, you know, they, they saw the need to be leaders and to share their best practices with others and, and to learn from others. And we're just continuing in that tradition. That's great. Wow. That's, yeah, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> um, <love> that. That's <laughs> So well, the, and that um, actually that, so just, that actually kind of relates to you know when we created our center for social media in 2010, um, part of it was that we said you know if anybody should do well at, at social media it should be Mayo Clinic you know because of what our background is that we should be really we should focus on doing this better, but then along with that we created our social media health network as a as a means for other organizations who were interested in. Uh, you know, in healthcare, learning to use these tools and and where we could learn together uh, from them as well, uh, that was very much in the tradition of of Dr. Will and Dr. Charlie to say we have this um, responsibility to help others who are interested in applying these tools and help them get by the concerns, get past the concerns um, that seem to be showstoppers for some of them. So you know, I got to tell you, um, it's funny because I know somebody at Cleveland Clinic was telling us a while ago about. Uh, some speaker told me, I can't remember the details, but about they were developing a physician relations program and they called, you know, and they compete with you guys, right, in some areas. And they called you guys or, you know, one of the doctors called somebody else over at Mayo and collaboratively they worked together. And it's amazing that sort of spirit of openness and transparency. So I think that's pretty admirable. It also, we, I don't know, because um, we have to come from different viewpoints. One of the things I have found is that, you know, this whole idea of healthcare marketing, um, you know, certainly, you know, you and I are the converted, right? This is what we do every day for mm -hmm. a living. But there's still people out there that feel like healthcare marketing is kind of somehow evil. And what I find, though, is mm -hmm. the people that are really good providers, either on the hospital side or on the clinic side, feel like, just like you just said, it's like, well, we're we're good at everything we do. <laughs> so why would yeah. marketing be anything else, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, exactly. we want to be, we want to, 
we want the cleanest facility, the best facility, we want the best customer care, we want the best patient care. Uh, why would our marketing be second rate if we expect and demand um, to be good at everything else? And that idea is something that I just find with when I work with the people that are at the very sort of top of our world here, that theme comes across over and over again. So when you get these people that come to you for advice or, you know, say, well, you know, that's all well and good for you and that's cool, but I'm uh, still really nervous. I mean, we're not going to do your whole presentation today, but what kind of bullet points sure. would be the, you know, to talk to them? Well, you know, some of the things that we you know, are sharing with them is that they really don't have the option of being present in social media uh, because people are talking about them. I mean, when I, when we started our Mayo Clinic Facebook page, there were probably 100,000. No, no, no. That wasn't quite right. Uh, there were probably, I'm thinking of the number of Facebook users. There were maybe, oh, I suppose 20, 30 million users of Facebook. Now they're about 1.5 billion. I mean, it just is the right. way that people are communicating. And you can say we don't want to have an official presence there, but all that means is that uh, people will be talking about you instead of with you. And you won't be able to be you know, present and engaged in those those conversations. Um, it really, I mean, there are the concerns. I mean, everybody has the concerns about you know, patient privacy and HIPAA and um, and certainly professionalism. And you know what those are all those are all concerns in the offline world as well. Um, the Federation of State Medical Boards uh, did a, a review of you know, problems that had been promoted or had been reported uh, with use of social media. And the three uh, I'm, I'm going to I may not be able to remember exactly, but it was like prescribing without an established relationship um, and a couple of other things that I can't remember. So there you go. Anyway, um, the, the problems anyway that were reported in social media were exactly the same problems that have been the top problems in the analog world, in the face-to-face -face world. It's just the only addition is that it's on, it's online. It's an online um, relationship. So they, they aren't new problems. They're just um, the social media, I like to say, kind of raises the stakes because it broadcasts your um, misdeeds to a bigger audience you know makes these uh, makes makes them more open and discoverable and so the solution is not to cramp you know clamp down on this and say no nobody should be involved in it it's to say how do we use them in the right way and actually we would go beyond saying that it's a that it's okay to do professionally we'd say it's almost imperative uh, to do professionally because you know you wouldn't say that it's uh, that a physician who says, I'm not going to use the telephone under any circumstances is, I mean, that would be an unprofessional thing to say because there are times when you need to use that particular communications medium uh, to meet your obligations to your patients. And we do see that, you know, healthcare providers, especially when there is so much uh, information available online um, and some of it coming from self-interested people who don't have the patient's best interest at heart and are promoting, you know, Quack therapies or whatever, uh, or putting up information that just isn't uh, isn't science based. There's a, a responsibility that the medical community has to be there, you know, where patients are having these discussions. A, a responsibility and an opportunity. And you know, you get back to the whole idea about you know, should marketing by hospitals just be second rate, or should we not do that well? No, we completely think it should be done well, and it all, but it also should be done in a way that doesn't feel salesy, you know, that it should be about meeting the needs of the patients 
And it, it, what I like to also say is that um, never before has it been so easy to do well by doing good. You know, that by just being smart in public, by uh, sharing good information, uh, that tends to help, you know, build relationships of trust uh, so that at some point, if, you know, in our case at Mayo Clinic, at some point if a, if a patient is saying, well, I, I do need to get a second or a third opinion, um, we'll be in the consideration set. Uh, terrific insight. And it's it's funny how a couple things. One, the message that you're saying about, you know, educating the public, it's very similar when we do our seminars at, for our company about, you know, if marketing being unethical, what, okay, marketing, the whole point is to educate the consumer and then help them choose a good solution. You know, in a way, it's, you could argue that not doing that is unethical, right? <laughs> letting people to their own exactly. device by, by, by not letting them know what to do. I think another thing that's really interesting insight that I was going to comment on a moment ago was the fact that um, really ultimately part of the way that you were able to do this and convince people, and I'm sure it wasn't easy at the very beginning stages, was that you know you tied it back to the corporate mission or the philosophy and the founding of you know where you guys came from, and having uh, you know the whole institution being about uh, you know outreach uh, certainly made your job easier. Um, so I think that's uh, terrific. It's really exciting actually. Um, so how um, uh, now that this is you know a mature program, this certainly isn't new. We've been talking for a long time, and you've been doing this for quite a while, and uh, you know create resources for their hospitals and so forth. Uh, do you have any stories you'd like to share specifically about, uh, you know, maybe the early days or things now uh, where management sure. has embraced uh, what you're doing? Yeah, well, I, I would say, you know, we – I started with this when we were doing our – when I was a manager of the media relations team, and, again, we were using these tools to do that better. You know, some of the best uh, early examples involved being able to use – uh, social platforms like YouTube uh, to be able to uh, post videos that we could then pitch to journalists. So they would, instead of just having it be getting on the phone and talking to the journalist or sending them an email, we could send them a link and say, here's the doctor, here's the patient, see what their story is. We could be much deeper in that in that um, outreach and, and communication than was more show and tell versus just tell. So we had some great examples. I was I was telling my barber this morning about it, about uh, Jason Worth, who is the baseball player now for the Washington Nationals, but back in 2005 was hit by a pitch in, in spring training and just skipping forward a bunch. Dr. Richard Berger, who was a Mayo Clinic orthopedic surgeon, had discovered a new kind of ligament tear uh, that had never been seen before. I guess that's what discovered means, but within his wrist, um, he fixed it, and a couple of years later, Dr. Excuse me, Jason was playing in the World Series with the Phillies. And anyway, I got an opportunity to interview Jason with uh, my flip cam and put it on our YouTube channel. And when they played in the next World Series, that led to a USA Today you know, health section story. And we were able to see that translate through into um, lots of people. First of all, it was helping a lot of people who um, had chronic wrist pain and had been told that there was no solution for it, um, and this gave them, you know, opportunities to to go be seen. We saw a significant increase in the number of patients who came uh, to uh, have that procedure done uh, here at Mayo Clinic by Dr. Berger. But we had also, at the same time, published the list of all the fellows in his program that he had trained. You know, so that so the people who wanted to get help closer to home could do that as well. So you could say that's a marketing thing and 
yeah, wow, that bottom line benefit, but the real benefit is it helped the patients. You know, and some of them came to Mayo Clinic, and we did well because of that. Uh, but we also did good by helping uh, people. Well, it was good, too, by just, you know, it was good to get people help close to home if they wanted or letting them know about the opportunities they have. But the, the main thing is that they were getting um, relief from a, from a chronic condition that was going to be plaguing them for the rest of their lives unless they had this, this procedure. That's one example we had, you know, we've had several of those others like that that led then to our uh, institutional leaders in 2010 saying there's uh, there's more to this. Uh, we should invest in uh, creating some more capacity for our, you know, to be able to provide the best advice to groups within Mayo Clinic, whether it's in clinical practice or education or research. Um, how can they apply these revolutionary tools within their work as well. So not just for PR and marketing, but to actually make the, the practice better. So we're doing things like, you know, online patient support groups, you know, in a private space. So we've done some experimenting with secret Facebook groups, but we wanted to have a place where it would be, you know, fully HIPAA compliant and encrypted communications and just, um, you know, secure ability to tailor uh, the interventions uh, to fit uh, we've developed, you know, we've gone from the open source, well, it's all open source, but from the WordPress.com hosted blogs to our own uh, co-hosted, uh, our own hosted platform on WordPress that is also our, our private online uh, community. Uh, that is hosted by CareHubs, and CareHubs is, uh, Paul Spicer, the CEO of CareHubs, is going to be presenting with me as well. But we've really gone from the shoestring sort of application and, and really what I was able to do as the manager of the media relations team is to exercise my dis discretion in media relations and say, we're just going to do this because uh, it just makes sense. But over time, getting enough of those small wins that we're able to make the case for the investment, you know, to be able to do some of these bigger things. And so we've got our Mail Clinic News Network, which is our online um, news portal for uh, for journalists, but also then has a publicly facing side. I think by the time I'm speaking at Sheshmed, we will have our redesigned um, news network site. We'll also have our redesigned um, Mayo Clinic Connect patient-to-patient -patient community. Um, it's been it's been really fun to see this really starting to accelerate. That's great. Um, you know, it's terrific. It's funny, too. One of the things that I relate to that you just mentioned is Ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> just sort of charge yeah. ahead because otherwise, if you give people the opportunity to say no, they will. And uh, as long as you can well, support yeah. your uh, premise. Exactly. I mean, the way I like to say it instead of the way you phrase it is proceed until apprehended um, because it's uh, <laughs> like, you know, that, you know, when, when we did our first podcast, uh, we, we had some radio segments that were, we were already providing to radio stations. And when we, you know, Apple had, invented or had created its uh, podcast directory. And we said, well, we've got these audio files already. They were only 60 seconds. So they weren't the optimal length for a podcast, but they were audio files. And we just created it, uh, created the RSS feed, put it in the iTunes store, and we saw our downloads go up. We got featured on the front page of iTunes. That was one of those your mileage may vary things. But, you know, we saw our downloads go up by about thousand percent in a in a matter of a couple of weeks because of that being featured and that just got us you know the reality is we were we already had this approved content so it was just putting it in a different form and likewise with the the YouTube channel uh, being able to 
pitched the the videos there. We had the yeah. we had some we had some TV segments that we were already producing, and we said, well, we just have that amount of content. And so just kind of jumping into it, um, David Allen of Getting Things Done fame talks about how in in uh, the martial arts it's a lot easier to change direction than it is to get started. So even if you're going 180 degrees in the wrong way, as long as you're moving, you know, it's a lot easier, like in karate, it's a lot easier to uh, to shift back into the right direction than if you have to start from a, from a dead start. So um, we did kind of move into this and um, didn't make any, I don't, I don't think we were ever 180 degrees in the wrong direction, but you know, we're able to adjust it. That's great. Um, so last couple of comments. Uh, you're, uh, and obviously we're teasing people with your session at Shishmet. Um, what are some of the takeaways you're hoping people will walk away with from your talk when you get to Shishman? Without without revealing the entire story, but maybe tease them a little. Yeah, I think what I you know would like them to to see is that by um, it's a little bit back to what I was starting with before. That so first of all, it's not um, radically dangerous to be involved. They they really don't have an option about whether they'll be represented in social media, social networking sites. Uh, the patients and consumers are already out there talking, and so they should be uh, joined in into the conversation. Uh, that the capabilities to have you know your own branded and private um, place that where you really have control over the uh, look and feel. Um, it's never been easier to have that uh, than it is now, and that you know you need to go where the patients are and where the consumers are, and with you know, half a billion people or so on Twitter and a billion and a half on Facebook. Uh, those are sort of some of the basic uh, ingredients that you need to have uh, need to have involved. Then the other part is that you know we've really through our social media health network we've made a, a commitment that we've got a, a new collaboration with Hootsuite in providing uh, on-demand training for uh, medical professionals. And by medical professionals, we mean, oh, actually, I guess I'd say healthcare professionals. So yes, physicians, nurses, but also the, the PR and marketing and communications types uh, to, if they're not personally familiar with the tools, to get training in the basics of using the platform, uh, to also um, you know, understand professionalism and you know the elements of professionalism, how they apply in social and also then to think strategically about how they can apply these these tools in their work. Um, when I started using social media at Mayo Clinic, it was to do PR better, is to do media relations better. Um, the reason I didn't do things related to the clinical practice at that time is because it wasn't my job, you know, it was somebody else's. Uh, but what we're hoping to help others do, you know, whether it's recruiting for clinical trials or, you know, building a particular practice or, uh, just doing general patient education to make the um, the uh, pr process less uh, anxiety inducing for patients coming in for a knee or hip replacement, for instance. Those are some of the examples that we'll we'll share. You know, we're using these tools to overcome those barriers of time and space, and to hopefully make not only from a you know from a marketing perspective um, in generating revenue but also finding ways to be more efficient um, in saving uh, provider time making it for a better more satisfying experience for the patients and that communications plays a big role in you know in these these quality perceptions that you know getting back to leading change from the c-suite the communication suite 
Now, patient satisfaction and um, and these online ratings are going to make a difference in in the bottom line, if if only from the you know the patient satisfaction scores that that are that make a difference now in in uh, government reimbursements. So uh, I think that gives a little taste anyway of some of the things we'll be talking about. Terrific. Okay, well, Lee, it's been fun talking to you again, as always. Wow, it sounds like you're going to have a terrific session. And again, it's going to be at Shishman in Washington, D.C. Um, and, of course, on our uh, the uh, written version of our blog, there'll be a link to that conference for those of our readers slash listeners who can attend. Um, the uh, Your session is Tuesday afternoon at 2.15. Not sure where, but you can look at the agenda once you get there. Lee, uh, it's been right. totally fun having you. Thanks, Stuart. I'm really glad we could do it. Perfect. Uh, We'll see you there. Take care.